0: Greetings to the brightest audience in the country, and welcome to Theology Thursday. I'm Nicole McBurney. Every weekday, we bring you the news of the day, the culture, and science from a Christian worldview. But today, join me and Pastor Bob Enyart as we explore the source of our Christian worldview, the Bible. All right, uh, When just a couple clarifications. Uh, human beings have this incredible ability to express emotion through facial ex- expressions. Uh, some animals do, too but not nearly as uh, uh, clearly as human beings can. And then uh, with Christ appearing in this image in heaven, for example, uh, is he, a question, Jim, during the break, is he bound by that image? Well, it doesn't appear to be so. Christ is in us, and we are in him, and uh, he's... Uh, it seems undoubtedly uh, omniscient and omnipresent. So no, I don't believe so. But he can appear in this image as a man, just as he has in the Old Testament, as he will, as he does in heaven, as he will in the future, and as he apparently created us in his image. All right, now verse 27. And note the change of the pronoun for man from him to them which that implies the creation of Eve also, not as an afterthought, for God intended for mankind to multiply and fill the earth. So, so so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God did not make Adam and Eve at the same moment, however, as we'll find out when we get into chapter 2 of Genesis. He made Eve later, apparently later that day, uh, Adam noticed that the animals had mates. And he said, Oh, so all these animals around him, he had to name the animals, and they had male and female, and he didn't. Maybe rather than just giving Eve to Adam, God wanted Adam to desire Eve. That way, they could share the blame. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, after they sinned. When God asked Adam, did you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? He said, it was the woman you gave me. And God probably said, hey, you asked for her. (laughs) Don't go trying to lay all that on me. This was partly your idea, Adam. Anyway, in this verse, notice the threefold repetition of the pronouns referring to God. But God, the, the, the name for God, the word for God, appears once, so God created man In his own image, he created him, he created them, a threefold repetition of the pronoun referring to God, his threefold nature, yet one God. And notice that God created them male and female, Adam and Eve, as we see their names in the next chapter, not Adam and Steve. Okay. Verse 28. I said that for Jim's sake. He said that to me before I heard it from anyone else a long time ago. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So notice, have dominion over every living thing. In other words, animals would do work for man. Man would have dominion over the animals. They would subdue them. Now, subdue the earth and the animals and have dominion. It's like conquer and then use. Uh, and conquer, there wasn't a battle between man and the animals, but subdue them, perhaps meaning understand them. There's a complex environment that mankind is now in the midst of. So understand, get a handle on what's around you. Understand your environment, have dominion, use those resources, mineral, vegetable, and animal resources that God made available. In this verse, God effectively is authorizing uh, science and technology, things that many liberals hate, technology, obviously. On the internet, there's a, a quiz, 10 quotes, you're supposed to decide if they're from Al Gore or the Unabomber. And it's really hard to do it. It's not possible to distinguish them. <clears throat> All right. Uh, liberals, they hate technology, of course, right? They're against industry, big business, uh, scientific progress. They're, they tend to be against it. And even though they, they worship science fiction, but they seem to dislike science itself, true science. They love uh, science fiction writers like Carl Sagan, but as far as true science is concerned, they seem to be often against scientific progress, nuclear power, although it's the cleanest of all sources of energy, NASA, cyclotrons, chemical engineering. They seem to be against all that stuff generally, but they love evolutionists, right? Down with science, up with science fiction. Take the 100 greatest scientific inventions of the last couple centuries. Take the top 100 scientific inventions, creations, inventions. How many of those had evolution as a major factor in, their, uh, in the invention? You, you follow the thought I'm trying to get across here? Uh, We look at the, in physics, transportation, flight, uh, electronics, medicine, genetics, astronomical observation. Of all the inventions that have enabled science to progress so far ahead, how many of them were a result of evolution? I think if you went through the process and looked at them, I think you'd find out that none of them are. That none of them, the... Uh, A transistor, is that a result of evolutionary thinking? Did the theory of evolution help us discover the transistor or x-rays or whatever? I think generally we'd find out that with very little effort, no. Evolution did not bring about these scientific inventions. The bottom line results of real science which is improves the standard of living of people worldwide liberals seem to be against that they seem to be against that all right now back to the verse be fruitful and multiply be fruitful and multiply another implicit endorsement for heterosexual lifestyles <laughs> Be fruitful and multiply, not be fruity and make flies, but be fruitful and multiply. God made sex, and he made it great, but society has turned it into something shameful and vile. He made it beautiful. They've turned it, made it dirty. Uh, just yesterday, I was on the 16th Street uh, shuttle in Denver. I had to go out and buy a magnifying glass. I must be getting old. And... <clears throat> I get on a bus, and a few blocks down... It goes up and down 16th Street Mall. A few blocks down the route, about eight or ten teenagers get on. Like They look like homeless street bums. One girl, maybe 15 or 16 years old. And they stunk to high heaven. They got on because Alfred calls it a communist bus. It's free, right? You don't have to pay to get on it. So they get on because it's free. And a couple blocks... Uh, further, this sort of scurvy looking 20 20-year-old guy gets on. He stunk, too. I'm right in the middle of it. <laughs> and the guy looks at the only girl of the first bunch, and he says, hey, don't I know you? And she says, well, in the biblical sense. And he had no idea what that meant. And then she proceeded to explain to him. Well, we don't really know each other all that well, but I think about a half a year ago, we had sex one night. And he didn't know what knowing in the biblical sense would mean. He's like, don't I know you? Yeah, she remembered. Isn't that somewhat typical? Guy would forget. The woman remembers. Well, society has knocked down the wall of protection that God put around women and especially young women. The peer pressure that you're to remain pure and chaste until a man comes to commit himself to you for life. That, not long ago, was the thought in everyone's mind, that was the way it was supposed to work. But today, that way is mocked. By MTV? No, it's mocked by the public school teachers. The teachers who say, you can't use the word marriage in our school. Because that's discriminatory. That's how, and I have a dear friend who's gone around the country speaking in high schools, public high schools, and she says, yeah, I've been taught. That's where I first heard it, and I've heard it elsewhere. Principals will say you cannot use the word marriage in this school. It's discriminatory. And so she gets up in front of 1,400 kids and tells them to wait until they're married, which is pretty neat. All right. So God created sex as a beautiful union between a man and a woman committed to each other for life. Then in this verse, the King James says replenish. The new King James and many others say fill the earth. Well, the King James in 1611 said replenish the earth. And because of the use of that word replenish, now that English word primarily means to fill. But over the years, somewhere along the line, it seems to also have taken on the meaning to refill but it primarily means to fill. Well, because of that word, some have used that word to further an argument that says there was a a race of beings on this earth before Adam. They say there was a race of beings on the earth, they populated the earth, then somehow they were wiped out, and then God created Adam and Eve and said, now replenish the earth, refill it. That is not what that word means. It doesn't mean to fill it up again. The Hebrew word means to fill. It's used many times in the Bible, and almost invariably it means to fill. Even the English word replenish doesn't mean doesn't necessarily mean fill again. You know, just because there's a re on a word doesn't like rebuke doesn't mean you're going to buke again. And uh, region uh, it doesn't mean that uh, retail. If it meant that, what would that mean? When an evolutionist glues a tail on his wife, that's retail? No. Right, or refer? When he buys a mink coat for her, Uh, he referred her? No. (laughs) So we can't make a doctrine based on just uh, sort of uh, shallow use of the English when we're not even using the English well what you have to do is find out, if there's any question about the meaning of a word, you find out, well, what does the original mean, the Greek or the Hebrew? And this Hebrew word here for fill the earth means fill, that's what it means. God creates, man procreates. God wants man to fill the earth, and the earth is still mostly empty. It's still mostly empty. We have an article... Phyllis, can you hold it up, our article pack? We have a new article pack with uh, 12, 12 little tracks in it. And nicer Than God, Coming Out of the Closet, Judge Rightly is not some guy's name. Uh, one, of, one of them is Overpopulation and Murder. And that article presents documented information that The earth is not overpopulated. In fact, we have about five billion, five to six billion people on the earth. And with current technology, this earth, we can feed and sustain 100 billion people. With current technology, uh, the advances are so rapid, not only with agriculture, but aquaculture, fish farming. What's the upper limit of fish farming? Wow, it's pretty awesome. Uh When they say the world is overpopulated, and they've been saying that for thousands of years, in the French Revolution, that was one of the motives to slaughter people by the tens of thousands. And in Rwanda, where 800,000 people were murdered, partly because uh, Anand, uh, the, the UN Secretary General, uh, coffee, Anand Donuts, or whatever his name is, um, <coughs> He received a fax from his head guy in Rwanda, from a a head guy in the government, saying they're getting ready to slaughter, they're gathering all the names of these tribespeople, and uh, Kofi Annan's office, they said, oh, don't worry about it. And starting within uh, a couple days, they began to slaughter uh, thousands of these people a day, 800,000 murdered, slaughtered, a genocide, just in the past few years that, you know, terrible proportion. And so what did the liberals do with the guy who was responsible to deal with that and ignored it? They make him the head of the UN. Of course, what else to do? Because when the Rwandan representative went to that Cairo, the UN Cairo uh, meeting on population on the world's population, you know what he said at that meeting, and it was published in our national media? He said that it's true, we lost hundreds of thousands of people in our civil war, but it wasn't a civil war, it's just this slaughter, but he said, we're still not at the population levels we need to be at. In other words, we still have too many people. You see the motivation? Hey, if the government or if government forces kill a million people, well, at least we're headed in the right direction. And that's where these people who complain that the world is overpopulated, that's where they're coming from. They hate people. And they have a thirst for innocent blood. For example, well, we've mentioned that if everyone in the world wanted to come to Colorado for a day, could they all fit? Now, I fly over 100,000 miles every year on one airline. I fly a few others. I've flown repeatedly to Hawaii, not as much as Art and Alice and others, but to Hawaii and Israel, Germany, Italy, crisscross this country almost monthly. And you know what? From a passenger's viewpoint in an airline, the world is pretty empty. No matter where you go, you look down and say, what's down there? I love it when there's a liberal by the the window. (laughs) What do you see? Nothing. Boy, it's really overpopulated, huh? (laughs) If everyone in the world came to Colorado, would they fit? Yes, they'd all fit. I mean, we could all stand next to each other. Not like sardines, but just all stand next to each other. Maybe almost like sardines. Uh, Could we fit in Colorado? Yes. You have a map of Colorado, and it's a nice... Nice uh, rectangle-shaped deal. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Uh, and would we fit in the whole state? Yeah. In fact, if we look at where uh, Rocky Mountain National Park is, it's about 404 square miles, it'd be a little dot on the map of Colorado. Could everybody go to the park one day if we all wanted to have a barbecue? or have? Yeah. You could all go to the park in one day. Well, they say the planet's population may double. One of these years. Well, what if it doubled? Well, then we would need a permit from Estes Park because we'd spill over into Estes Park. I've <laughs> talked to the city council. So that's, so the world is mostly empty. It's mostly empty, as any airline passenger can attest. Now, what did Britain's Prince Philip say about overpopulation? He's the president of the Worldwide Fund for Nature. And he has said, we document this in the, in the uh, article on overpopulation, he has said that he would like to be reincarnated as, what do you think? A doctor? <laughs> Princess Di? A <laughs> tree? Uh, Sonny Bono? No. As a killer virus. So he said. I'd like to come back as a killer virus. Prince Philip. Maybe... Prince HIV lip, perhaps. He wants to come back and start a new AIDS epidemic. And he gets applauded by the liberals. Yay! what a wonderful sentiment. Prince Philip is coming back as HIV. You're such idiots. Jack Fish, a Colorado public school teacher. He's also on and off now and then a school board member in Brighton, Colorado. he wrote a column in a local newspaper as back when we were going over to Somalia to keep them from starving to death. And he said the reason for Somalia's overpopulation in his article, I'm sorry, the reason for their famine was overpopulation. That's what he wrote in his article. So I thought, well, wow, this is great. Call him up, have him on the show. Get him to present his argument from his column on the air. And he did. And then I asked Jack Fish... They so, well, that's interesting. So their overpopulation is the reason their country's in such trouble. Yes, that's right. Oh, what is their population? Uh well, I, I don't know what their population is. Oh, how many square miles is the country, Somalia? Well, well, I don't know. Well, forget about what's their population. What's an estimate like to the nearest million? Well, I don't know. Well, what is the population density of Somalia? Well, I don't know. Well, then, what makes you think that overpopulation is the cause of their problem? Well, I'm sure it is. Well, I have an almanac right here, and uh, Jack Fish, public school teacher. Um, maybe it never crossed your mind to check, but the population density of Somalia is 29 people per square mile. It's one of the least dense countries in the world. So how could overpopulation be their problem? Their problem is underpopulation. As the Bible says, if you don't have enough people, your country can't even function. You'll all starve. So uh, he was a little embarrassed. I asked him where he get that information. Did he suck it out of the tip of his thumb? Is that where he got it? Is that where he got the information? Well, it's a rule of thumb. The rule of thumb is that nice places have a high population density, a lot of people per square mile, and lousy places have few people per square mile. God said fill the earth, so we could be happy and have a good standard of living. I'll give you some nice places and lousy places, and we'll look at their population density. Nice, Austria, 243 people per square mile. Lousy, Angola, 18. Nice, Belgium, 848 people per square mile. Lousy, Bolivia, 17. These all come from the almanac. Nice, Denmark, 310 people per square mile. Lousy, Botswana, 5 people per square mile. Where do you think they have more people starving per capita? Nice, England, 613 people per square mile. Lousy, Central African Republic, 12 people per square mile. Then if we go down the list of nice places... I just randomly did this in an almanac. It's easy to do. You could try this at home. Uh, France, 259. Germany, 583. Israel, 605. Italy, 500. Japan, 830. Luxembourg, 400. Netherlands, 960. Uh, Rhode Island, 850 people per square mile. Switzerland, 430. Lousy places, Chad, 17 people per square mile. Congo, I'm sorry, Chad is 10 people per square mile. Congo, 17. Laos, 48. Liberia, 64. Libya, 6. Mozambique, 50. Namibia, 4. Niger, 16. Panama, 84. That's one of the nicest of the lousy places. They've got a few more people. Paraguay, 31. Russia, 22. They can't feed themselves in Russia. Sudan, 29. Somalia, well, we hit that already, 29. Zambia, 30. Zimbabwe, 73. Isn't it something that the nice places have hundreds of people per square mile and the lousy places have nobody per square mile? The Bible says if you want to have a good country, you need a lot of people. Otherwise, you'll all be poor and starving. How about cities like Athens? Anybody ever visit Athens other than Art and Alice? All right. Don and Darlene? All right. Okay, a few of them. Nice place to go. People usually want to go to Athens. 30,000 people per square mile. Boston, Massachusetts, 8,000. Kitty Dukakis is one of them, but it's still a nice place. (laughs) Paris, France, 20,000 people per square mile. Rome. We love Rome. Greg and Janie Perry, our dear friends, went with them to Italy. What a great time we had in Rome. It's fabulous. 43,949 people per square mile. 43,949 compared to Somalia, that has 29. And they say Somalia is overpopulated. San Francisco, 9,300 people per square mile. Uh, getting worse year by year but that's for a different reason their population density has also decreased slightly recently Sydney Australia 10,000 people per square mile Toronto Canada beautiful city 20,000 people per square mile everyone in the world could move to Texas and if I recall I grew up in Prospect Park New Jersey uh, great town. Mom, we had a great time, right? We had a pool in our backyard. We had baseball fields right up the hill. We had a park, a huge quarry. We'd go play in the park, swing from the trees, shoot at birds with slingshots, and just had a great time. And Well, we knew they were going to explode anyway from the rice people threw at the weddings, so we knew they were in for it. So, <laughs> um, so uh, I grew up there, and it's a little place. It's about a quarter of a mile square, Prospect Park. It's one of the smallest cities in the whole country. And th- there like seven, 8,000 people there, which when you work it out, that's a very dense population density per square mile. And if you put everyone in the world in Texas, just in Texas, now I know everyone would not want to move to Texas, but if you put them there, if you were a liberal, you said you got to live there. Uh, it, it would be less dense than so many nice places in the world. If everyone in the world moved to Texas, then we could use the rest of the world for agriculture and recreation. Wouldn't that be nice? (laughs) Not really. (laughs) Uh, So the world is not overpopulated. The ancient Greeks started that myth to control people. 2,800 years ago, Solomon, inspired by God, wrote in Proverbs 14.28, In the multitude of people is the king's honor, but in the lack of people is the destruction of the prince. In the multitude of the people, a country is secure and prosperous. But when there are no people, you're in trouble. So God commanded to fill the earth. And that wasn't only the perfect earth before the fall. Because after the flood in Genesis 9-1, God repeated to Noah, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Verse 29 of Genesis 1. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of all the earth, and every tree whose fruit yields seed. To you it shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, in which there is life, I have given every green herb for food, and it was so. Now, every green herb undoubtedly includes fruits, vegetables, and grasses, uh, and grains, grasses, especially for the animals. Originally, man and animals were vegetarians. Now, how could all animals have lived as vegetarians? Many of them are carnivorous. Well, they, even today... Uh, carnivores can survive as vegetarians when they need to. In the future, God has told us that if we look in Isaiah, for example, and where else? Let's see, uh, I think where else, but uh, I think Isaiah 11, verses 6 through 9, we find out, in fact, let me turn there, and we'll read it. Isaiah 11, 6 through 9, this is in the future, this is still to come. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. See, be a vegetarian, as God originally created them to be. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Wow, that's pretty cool. That's really neat. So uh, we know that in the future, animals will be vegetarians, God created us first to be vegetarians. He told Adam and Eve you could eat these green herbs. But before the after the flood, God said to Noah, you could eat any animal, anything and everything. Anything that moves, you can eat as food. But before that in Genesis 4:20, we find out about this guy named Jabal who started he introduced cattle raising. Hey, this is Nicole McBurney jumping in. We are out of time for today, so be sure to come back next Thursday to hear the rest of this study. And it's our last Theology Thursday of the year, so I just wanted to say thank you to all of our listeners who have helped support us thus far. We look forward to 2024. May God bless you guys.